The United Methodist Church is fracturing over the issues of gay marriage and LGBTQ clergy. At their annual conference this past June, that fracture became most apparent. Um, For example, Reverend Kevin Baker, who represents the Methodist traditional view on marriage and sexuality, uh, said this doesn't mean the church does not welcome LGBTQ people. He said, we want all people here, but God calls us out of behaviors that are not in line with his words. On the other hand, Reverend Michelle Johns, who identifies herself as queer, was visibly upset at this suggestion that God would not approve of her behavior. And she said, I don't know how much more I can bear listening to hate. I don't believe God hates me. I believe there are those in the Methodist church who do. And right now, I feel it. Well, the Bible does get pretty specific about behavior that is ungodly. And uh, there are many things that God calls His people, those who claim to follow Jesus, to turn away from by the power of Christ, the Spirit of God. Behaviors such as violent anger, and lust, and greed, and drunkenness, jealousy, exploitation of the poor, and uh, yes, homosexuality, and a number of other things as well. All of these identified in Scripture as sin. So, as your pastor, if for example, I'm materialistic, um, seeking to enrich myself, uh, financially irresponsible, and the elders confront me about that, and I don't repent, and I don't change, then I should not be your pastor. If my anger is out of control, if my ego is out of control, if my weight is out of control, and I don't repent and change, I should not be your pastor. Because I would be violating the clear truth of God. I'll take another issue that's front and center in our society today, and that's gender dysphoria. And while we should have, as believers, great compassion for those who struggle with gender identity, uh, this is not God's design. Uh, Our culture uh, surely seems to reject a binary view of gender, but biblical truth declares that we were created male and female. And... uh, Rather than having society tell me what is true, as a follower of Jesus, I need to take a stand on what God clearly reveals is true. Now, let me pick another issue. Climate change. Uh, Whether or not you believe climate change is real, please do not link your stance, whatever it is, to biblical truth. That does not exist. Um, this is not a Christian issue. Sadly, somehow, it's gotten connected in some people's minds as a Christian issue. It is not. Uh, Many outspoken Christians make it one, and by so doing, distort biblical truth. For example, former Representative Michelle Bachman uh, recently called climate change fake news, saying that the Bible denies it, And she points to God's promise in Genesis to never again destroy the earth by flood. And she says, you can take that to the bank. That's God's word. Well, that is God's word, but her reasoning is wrong. 
Uh, God does promise that the judgment to come will not be, again, by worldwide flood. Yes, you can take that to the bank. But that has nothing to do with whether or not climate change is real. And I give you those examples to say that truth is being distorted on all sides today. Uh, It's being distorted from news desks and in pulpits and at political rallies and on social media. And everything is broken. Broken is the title of our series as we are walking through Judges, this ancient book in the Old Testament. Uh, Brokenness is a reality in our world. I don't think uh, uh, most people would disagree with that. Uh, The brokenness just in things, uh, in the recent days I've had a broken furnace in my house, a broken air conditioner, and yesterday I spent many hours on a broken dishwasher that remains broken to this moment. Things are breaking down, but there's brokenness in our lives, and God uh, sent His Son Jesus into this world to redeem us from that brokenness, to restore us to wholeness with Him. Well, the book of Judges has a lot to teach us about what's broken. And now we come to chapter 17, we see two different ways that truth is broken, that truth itself is distorted. And so I want us to go through that story in Judges chapter 17, discover those two ways, and then learn how this applies to our lives here near the end of 2019. Well, the chapter, Judges 17, opens with a guy named Micah, and he's confessing to a crime. You see, 1,100 pieces of silver had been stolen from his mother, and uh, that was a lot of money. Uh, You could actually say that 10 pieces of silver could be an average annual salary in that day. So this is 110 times an average annual salary, a lot of money. So this is a wealthy woman. When she discovers this amount of silver missing, she cursed the thief. And her son heard her curse the thief. And he steps forward and says, yeah, the thief is me. Notice where it begins, verse uh, 2. He said to his mother, I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be my son by the Lord. So we learn some interesting things about Micah's mom right off the bat. She sounds like a forgiving person. She pronounces blessing in the name of the one true God, Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel. So she's identifying herself with this God as a worshiper of his. But as good as it sounds, we're going to see that this woman should not win parent of the year. Uh, To quote the Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, uh, it has some recommendations for when parents catch children stealing. Here are those recommendations. Tell them stealing is wrong. Help them pay for or return the stolen item. Make sure they don't benefit in any way from the theft. And make it clear that this behavior is totally unacceptable. Oh, that's good advice. Compare that to something written thousands of years before the Old Testament law, Leviticus 6. If someone has been dishonest or stolen something or found a lost item and lied about it, they must give back whatever they have taken plus a penalty of 20% to the person they've harmed. They must then bring a guilt offering to the Lord and they will be forgiven. So that's Old Testament law. There's some similarities there. The Bible came up with it first. Uh, But you notice Micah's mom doesn't simply forgive her son when he confesses. She pronounces a blessing on him. Uh, Her reaction indicates she's an overindulgent parent. In fact, I would say her behavior's probably contributed to her son's corrupt character. 
never be more interested in your child's happiness than in their holiness. Uh, We want our children to be happy. Never be more interested in their happiness than their holiness. When you don't correct children for doing wrong, or when you don't allow the child to experience at least some of the consequences of their disobedience, uh, then it helps corrupt their character. But even worse than ignoring their wrongdoing or protecting them from consequences uh, of disobedience is to reward their sin. And that's what this mother does. Verse 3. And he restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I dedicate the silver to the Lord from my hand for my son to make a carved image and a metal image. Now, therefore, I will return it to you. All right, there's a lot going on here, but this is really messed up. This is messed up. Mom wants to celebrate the return of this theft by having two idols made with all of that silver. A carved image would be one that was made carved from wood and then dipped in silver. A metal image would be com- completely made of silver, solid silver. And she, she wants to make, have these two made in celebration of the return of the silver. This is a flagrant violation of God's command. Uh, here's someone who claims to be a follower of Yahweh, and, and yet, this, God's command is, you shall not make for yourself an idol or an image in the form of anything. That's clear. And she doesn't even seem to recognize the hypocrisy, the inconsistency of this. She plans to honor God by disobeying Him. So, it, it, it's like going through the self-checkout line at the grocery store without paying and think, it's alright, I put some money in the collection plate. It's like having an affair and asking God to bless your secret relationship. You can't possibly honor God by defying Him. And that's what's happening here. So if you're a parent who claims to believe, there are few things more damaging to your family than if you sound and look religious and flagrantly disobey God. If you're a churchgoer, a person who talks about God's blessing and praise and, and talk about the gospel, and then you live a consistently unrepentant uh, violation of God's truth, it will warp your children's values and perspective like nothing else. Now, for more proofs that mom, uh, Micah's mom is spiritually distorted, look what happens next, verse 4. So when he restored the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith who made it into a carved image and a metal image, and it was in the house of Micah. Now did you notice she promised all of it and gave a fifth of it. So not only does she commission an idol, she even defaults on the promise that she made. Now she didn't have to give anything to honor the Lord. Uh, which was a bad idea and what she was doing anyway, but she declared she would and then she didn't. So there's more hypocrisy, more spiritual distortion here. And then in some twisted way, she rewards her son for stealing. She gave him the silver idols. Now remember, the Old Testament required the thief to pay a 20% penalty. In this case, the thief earned a 20% profit. So just in this one scene, we have a lot of failure. We've got coveting and stealing and lying and dishonoring your mother and idolatry, worshiping false gods. It's amazing how many commandments you can break in the privacy of your own home. Verse 5. And the man Micah had a shrine. And he made an ephod and household gods and ordained one of his sons who became his priest. So, So we read here, Micah already had a shrine in his home. 
That dishonored God with warped worship. You say, how is that possible? And now he's simply adding two silver idols to his religious collection. He's created his own form of spirituality. He, he saw himself, apparently, as a follower of Yahweh, and yet he worshipped his way, not Yahweh's way. That was his deal. And you might not think, well, that's not a problem, is it? It directly violates several of God's commands. In Deuteronomy 12, God said, there's only one place to acceptably worship me in this day and age, and that place was in Shiloh, which was 10 miles away from Micah's house. God said, that's where you must go to worship me. Don't, he said, Deuteronomy 12, don't add from or subtract from this command. But Micah decided to make worship a little more convenient for himself. So instead of traveling and worshiping with the community of faith, he had a do-it-yourself shrine set up in his house. Another violation was in making his son a priest. God declared clearly that only the Levites could be priests, and anyone who tried to be who was not a Levite should be put to death. And yet, despite that clear command, Micah ordains his own son. So why would this family, who claims to follow God, act this way? Well, the next verse tells us, verse 6. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So the guiding principle of life in that day was do whatever you think best. There was no spiritual authority. God's truth was not honored. It was a do-it-yourself approach to religion. You don't want to go to the trouble of worshiping God the way He requires? No problem. Don't want to follow all those pesky commandments? No sweat. Uh, want to make obeying God as convenient as possible? Press the easy button. So no one was paying attention to the law of God. There was no one with spiritual authority holding God's people accountable. So everybody just did whatever they wanted to, whatever they thought was right, whatever their neighbor was doing. And this sounds exactly like American society today. It sounds like the way many professing Christians choose to live their lives today. So here we have the first way truth is distorted. Truth is distorted when I confuse preference with obedience. Preference. Well, that's what I want to do. What I think is right. Or what my culture says is right or is normal or agrees with. When I choose that preference over obedience truth is messed up. God calls us to do all kinds of things that are against our preferences, doesn't he? Uh, like loving those who hate us. That is not my preference. Uh, like forgiving those who wrong us. That is definitely not my preference. Controlling our lusts. No! Giving to those in need. No! That's not preference. That's God's command. And when we prefer not to do such things, we choose not to obey, truth is broken. Uh, I have a, a friend, well, I haven't seen him in years now, but a pastor friend uh, who I knew right away in getting to know him that he's mad at his biological father. And, and they had not spoken in years and years. And, and, what, and that's because when my friend was little, his, uh, his dad abandoned the family. And 40 years later, my friend is still angry and bitter, last I knew, about this. And what captured me about is that a, a local uh, reporter interviewed my friend about the church that he pastors in that community. And in the course of the interview, it came out that he didn't speak to his dad, and he said, I can never forgive my father. And that was printed in the newspaper. 
Now, what kind of a testimony is that? Uh, what, what does that say about obeying God? And maybe you can identify, because somebody's done you wrong, somebody's abused you, somebody's cheated you, somebody said stuff to you, and it still hurts, and you've chosen not to forgive. You've chosen preference over obedience. God's clear that we can't live like that. Not only forgive, but even do good to those who hate us, Jesus says. And when we choose to do the easy, convenient thing and live in bitterness or harbor a grudge or nurture our justifiable anger, what we've done is we've set up our own little religion and we've disobeyed God. It's far easier to grumble than to be thankful. At least I find it easier. It's it's far easier to gossip about somebody than to love them. It's far easier to criticize people around you in a worship service than it is to actually worship It's easier to complain than it is to pray. Uh, It's far easier to spend money on myself than to give it to those who are are in need or for the spread of the gospel. It's far easier to ignore the stranger than to reach out to the stranger. Uh, If I claim to believe, then God's truth tells me how to honor Him. tells me how to honor Him with my sexuality, with my finances, with my time, with my ethics, with my priority, my all. And if instead I choose to do what's convenient, what I prefer rather than obey God, then that's a fail. So that's one way truth is distorted. So Micah has his own little worship room set up with idols and relics, and he has his son uh, made into a priest. But then one day Micah meets this young guy who's traveling uh, through the area, and it turns out this young guy's from Bethlehem, and he's a Levite. That means he could be a legitimate priest, and he's actually looking for a job. So verse 10 Micah said to him, stay with me, be to me a father and a priest, and I'll give you ten pieces of silver a year, a suit of clothes, and your living. And the Levite went in. So what luck? Micah is thrilled because now he can trade in his pretend priest and get a real one. I've always wondered how his son felt about this. He gets made a priest, and I was like, oh, now i got somebody good. You go back to tending the sheep, my son. So... Micah offers this Levite room and board plus a salary. The priest agrees. He moves in. According to verse 11, he became like a son to Micah. Maybe he got rid of his other son. I don't know. But he's like a son now, verse 11 says. He's part of the family. Verse 12. And Micah ordained the Levite, and the young man became his priest and was in the house of Micah. I want to know, who is Micah that he thinks he can ordain anybody? He's ordained two people already. On what basis? This is so messed up. Michael has bought and paid for a private, well-equipped shrine, a collection of idols and religious relics, and a personal priest. And there's no hint that Micah thinks there's anything wrong with this. But we know it's wrong, and the chapter ends by telling us why Micah's done all this. Here's what he hopes to gain out of it. Verse 13. Then Micah said, now I know that the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite as a priest. So the shrine, the idols, the holy man, this is how Micah is trying to manipulate God into blessing him. He treats all this religious stuff as a spiritual lucky charm, a mechanism for his personal success. Micah is trying to use God to get what he wants. So this is the second way truth is distorted. It's distorted when I confuse self-interest with worship. Self-interest. So finish this sentence in your own mind right now. I know the Lord will bless me now because... 
How would you finish that sentence? Would you say, because I'm in church, because I took communion, because I pray before bedtime, because I was nice to that stupid jerk who cut me off earlier, because I volunteer? You know what that is? That's rabbit foot theology. That's lucky charm theology. That's nothing but superstition. So years ago, the president and vice president of a an organization asked me to be the company chaplain. And they were both very anxious for me to get involved, to attend the weekly meetings, to be available to counsel the staff, to pray at religious ceremonies that they had and conduct religious stuff at special functions. And I agreed. And they treated me very well. They were very nice to me. And at first I thought, you know, they just really like me. But then I realized that I was just a very large rabbit's foot for them. Um, these were church-going men. They didn't go to my church, church I pastored, but they believed that as long as I was around, they were in good with God, that things would go well. And years later, I discovered that both the president and the vice president had been conducting extramarital affairs the entire time I knew them, and they were thinking like Micah. It doesn't really matter what I do, just so we have a holy man to bless us. And I think we're constantly tempted to, to act that same way. That's false religion. It's a lie from Satan. Entire churches are built on this kind of wrong thinking. We have a lot of them in Texas. A lot of them in our country. Built on misguided preachers who say, give this and God will have to bless you. Do this, go there, do that, and the Lord will be good to you. Uh, let me put it in this term. Giving, serving, and worshiping because God is good is vastly different than giving, serving, and worshiping so God will do you good. You see the huge difference between those two things? The first is correct. The second one is a lie. It's a slight shift, but a broken one. So is there any religious thing you're doing with the idea that God will now be good to you? Not only is that superstition and horrible theology, but when good things don't follow, we get mad at God. We do. How can He treat me this way? How can He let this happen after everything I've done? How hard I've tried? And I would tell you, over the last 10 years, maybe a little bit longer, over the last 10 years or so, that's the most common question I have from people. It's... Even though I live for God and I worship Him, my business still failed. My marriage fell apart. My loved one died. My child rebelled. I've tried to do everything I can to please God, so why did this happen to me? This confuses self-interest with worship. See, the only reason to obey God and to worship God is out of love for Him because He is worthy. It's not worship if you expect something in return. That's quid pro quo. So, any attempt to control God is false religion. To shape Him into your image. To have Him benefit you and carry out your will. Instead, Jesus Himself taught, you should pray, Father, not my will, but yours be done. That's worship. David Jackman says this. He says, when my 
Time at church or my work for the Lord or my financial capacity or my status in the community begin to whisper me that now God's blessing is certain or inevitable, I can be sure that these things have become idols by means of which I'm actually worshiping myself. I'm actually worshiping myself. So, truth is distorted when I confuse my preferences with obedience to God. When I, when I confuse self-interest, what I benefit with worshiping God. I, I end up then worshiping myself instead. So, what lesson should we learn from the story? Well, there are many, many things. But just understand this very basic truth. And that is that truth can't be whatever you want it to be. It just can't be. Not if you know that God is the author of truth. It can't be whatever you want. You can't pick and choose what to believe. That's false religion. You can't do religious stuff in order to get a blessing. That's false religion. And right now, the world is putting enormous pressure on you to ignore what God says is true and follow what you think is best. To follow your own truth. Or, or to do what the majority says is right. America today is deciding what is moral and ethical and acceptable and true based on opinion polls and popularity and political platforms and Supreme Court decisions and human wisdom. And often those decisions do not line up with what God says. And for any of us who claim to follow Jesus, to be, to be worshipers of the one true God, that cannot be how we determine truth. Cannot be. Truth can't be whatever you want it to be, no matter how many people vote for it or vote against it no matter how convenient it is for you to choose. G.K. Chesterton said, fallacies do not cease to be fallacies because they become fashions. We have a lot of things that are fashionable today. They're still fallacies. Um, Calling something true doesn't make it true. See, only God determines truth. How does He reveal truth? Well, some of the greatest ways he's revealed truth in scripture and in creation and in our consciences and most of all in christ the greatest of that revelation of truth is in christ he embodies christ he is the truth and again and again the bible says jesus is the only path the only bridge the only way to salvation jesus himself declared i am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me That's a very exclusive claim. If truth is found in Christ alone, then that means that any belief system that rejects Jesus cannot find salvation. It means that very good, nice, moral people who refuse to trust Jesus are not going to go to heaven. And for some of you, that doesn't sound right. It feels closed-minded and archaic, wrong. But if it's God's truth, it doesn't matter what we think. It's only through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that sin can be forgiven and we can be accepted by a holy God. And if we deviate from that message, if we soften that in any way, we have denied the truth and we've exchanged the one true God for a homemade God. So how can you guard against that? Know God's truth for yourself. Psalm 119.160 says, your word is truth. Jesus himself quotes that in John 17, 17. He says, your word is truth. This is God's revealed word. Don't merely accept what others teach you, whether it's me or anybody else. 
You must learn to feed yourself. So when we launch grow groups in January, the the purpose of that is so that those of you who are not part of a small group can connect with one, and they're in community. As you live out your faith in community uh, with other believers, you study God's Word, God's truth, and you grow. It's vital in this broken world because distortion is everywhere. So a couple of years ago or so, our oldest daughter and her husband gave us a, uh, an outdoor clock, which we hung out on our patio. And it, it you know, obviously tells the time. Uh, and there are also two other dials, one for humidity and one for temperature. And it's delightful in August to sit out there and see both of those hit 100. It's just wonderful. <laughs> so it's convenient, though, when you're outside to be able to look quickly at here's what time it is and whatnot. And a few days ago, notice that the clock was way off, and it went up to it, and, and the second hand is ticking, but it's not moving, and so it was way off. So we replaced the battery, and you know when we put the battery in, it you know, starts to move around. I hung the clock back up, a little while later, I look over, and the time is still the same, and the second hand is still can't make it up around the clock, so time was off. I think that what's happened is that somewhere in one of those lovely 100 degrees days, the, 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 the second hand sort of warped or melted, perhaps, down on the other hands. And so, so it just won't move until I fix it. It's not going to be right, except twice a day. It's right twice a day every day. But it's not a good source of truth. Truth is being warped and distorted by our culture, by our personal desires, by public opinion, by the enemy of our souls. And so every single one of us who claims to follow Jesus needs to be asking ourselves this question all the time. Is there any way I'm choosing my preferences over obedience to God? Is there any way that I'm doing religious stuff just so I'll be blessed? And if so, I need to put an end to it right now. Because truth can't be whatever I want it to be. Only God determines truth. Worship Him, serve Him, honor Him, not because you want Him to bless you, but because of His undeserving mercy and everlasting love. He is worthy of your praise. Would you stand with me and let us bring this service to conclusion by receiving this benediction from the Lord. Now let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Amen. Go in peace.